Hey y'all, today's episode is not about a specific case, but don't tune out because instead it's a conversation with Casey Phillips Brown, a licensed social worker and certified EDMR therapist about the challenges faced within the black community as it pertains to missingness, specifically missing black women and girls. Casey was one of my co-organizers for the Mother's Brunch, and we became acquainted through her outreach for one of her grad school projects about missing Black women and the many nuances regarding that topic. If you're thinking about skipping this episode, I do not recommend it because we talk about some super important topics, and Casey shares with us some of her findings from her research and how those things impact the Black community, but especially Black women and girls. So you don't want to miss this conversation. And without further ado, let's get into it. I'm Renetta Rideout, and this is Misogynoir Murders. Fabulous Casey Phillips Brown of the Nan Washington Global Wellness Foundation and my new friend and partner, hopefully, um, and definitely one of my co-organizers. I always describe you as the lead organizer in the Mother's <laughs> Brunch. Um, so thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk to me and the audience. Okay, and I describe you as the lead, but okay. Hey, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's enough room for everybody. We all did our part. To, yes, together we did everything we could along with Shalissa. Um, so yes, but I, I always say, actually, I recorded the episode yesterday and I was saying how, you know, thanks to you and all your friends and connections and colleagues and classmates, we were able to make it come to life in the way that Shalissa had hoped for. And I just feel like that wouldn't have happened without you. Thank you. But that's the important thing that all of us came together and gave Shalissa exactly, I think, I hope, pray what she dreamed of. It's just so impressive to me that in the middle of her grieving, that she was able to say, I want to help others, right? Because I know when I'm grieving, you can't talk to me for two years. Um, I shut down. I go, I, yeah, I'm unable to function. And the fact that she said, I'm going to help and I'm going to give other mothers a chance to have love bestowed upon them and find community. So I'm so excited. I'm so happy that I was able to meet you and you introduced me to her and that we were able to help her with her inaugural Mother's Brunch, the Mikeyana Johnson inaugural Mother's Brunch. So excited. Yes, me too, me too, me too. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. It was a steep and sharp mm-hmm. <laughs> learning curve mm-hmm. for, for me, probably for all of us. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, I've never done anything on this scale before. Uh, so just your organization and how you were like letters and getting out. I was just like, go ahead. Loved it. And, and and the fact that you started off first with, you know, promoting it to your audience. I loved it. And it seemed, you know, I, I would see their comments on your posts and the likes. And that inspired me to do more, seeing that there was people who really believed in this vision and wanted to see this happen. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it was definitely a group effort. I feel like all three of us 
brought our gifts and connections and strengths to the project and we pulled it off. So hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And I do want us to talk more about the Mother's Brunch. But before we get into that, um, I just want you to tell us who you are, what do you do, and tell me what brought you to this project with the Mother's Brunch in the first place. That probably would take about an hour. I just do so much. Uh, but let me give you the brief, short, dirty version. Um, again, you know, again, I'm Casey Phillips-Brown. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And as of this summer, I am a doctorate of social work candidate. Uh, as I successfully yay, defended my um, qualifying exam, which was on basically does the um, white woman syndrome impact the awareness of black, uh, missing black women in the United States. So it just fits right in with, with the work you're doing. I'm so excited about that. I also, as you mentioned, have a nonprofit, the Nan Washington Global Wellness Foundation, which was named after my wonderful grandmother, who uh, I came and I told my grandfather, I'm like, guess what? Dad, I call him dad. I mean, you know, I'm graduating in two weeks from mass communication. I'm going to be a movie producer and I'm going to, you know, make TV shows. And he said, well, you know, you need something to fall back on. And I was like, okay. And I looked up and I was like, oh, social work. All I have to do is write a paper. I can write a paper. And so I called back and I called my grandma. Hey mom, I'm going to be a social worker. And she was a little spitfire. And she was like, Oh, you had your little sad life. Now you're going to sit around and listen to these little sad people tell you little sad stories. I was like, well, <laughs> okay, Miss no. Nanetta. <laughs> yeah, she did not play. Nanetta didn't hold her tongue. But and no offense to people with sad stories and sad lives, because again, her granddaughter was one of them. But I think in her mind, she just thought my precious granddaughter didn't deserve a life of sadness and, you know, uh, poverty, which I think that's what she thought social work was. And it's like, I was so glad that before she passed, she was able to see the success I had in social work and to know that her grandma, her granddaughter was not poor and her granddaughter was not sad, but loving being a social worker. Um, I'm also the author of We Just Said No, uh, Treating ADHD Without Medication. And I am a clinical supervisor for two mental health agencies in um, LA County, as well as I do, I am a uh, therapist for Sacramento City College, as well as for different EAP companies. So, and um, I recently got certified in EMDR, which is an amazing form of therapy that I'm super excited about. And maybe that's something we could talk about at a future date, um, because I think it's really, really a great modality to use with people who dealt with and experienced trauma. I don't even think I knew that you had that many jobs. Like I knew that you had a lot, <laughs> but I didn't know that you did all of that. This is crazy. I don't. That's why it's so hard to reach me. <laughs> but is it hard to reach you? Because I feel like you're always accessible. <laughs> like I try, but that's why I'm so. Maybe that's why I'm always so busy and crazy and very little sleep. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you know what? I'm so glad that your grandmother got to see the success because, to her point, you know, I I haven't been privy to the uber successful social work stories where it's not mm -hmm. a life of despair and heartache and disillusion and really immersed in poverty or trauma. Um, so it's really nice to hear that this Black woman with a hard story coming up was able mm -hmm. to take that and turn it into several businesses. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I absolutely love social work. And, it, and and to be happy about it and to not completely, you know, feel completely burned out. Like it's, yes, it's hard because I'm currently a student. That makes it a little more difficult. Who has time to study after you've been hearing sad stories all day, right? right? And helping families. But other than that, I'm very excited. And um, my program here at California Baptist University is fitting in perfect with my life. If it wasn't for this project, again, I wouldn't have met you because they asked for me to interview someone who was, um, first of all, who was who dealt with missing black women. And then someone referred me to you and we were able to get started. And then I don't know if you remember, but I also interviewed you a second time because they wanted me to interview an activist. And I was like, I know an activist. You know someone who does not believe that they're an activist. But I know an activist when I see one. So I was like, please, can I interview you again? I'm so excited that I was able to form this relationship with you. Me too. It's such a blessing. I I really do feel blessed. It all happened for a reason. But you know what? We're not going to go on all these tangents. Oh, yep. So So, I'm not sure if I answered your your question completely. No, you did. You answered You answered my questions perfectly, but you know how I am. Like I can go down the rabbit hole, which is why I never do anything that is not scripted because who wants to take Mm -hmm. all those trips with me? And me and you are pretty much very similar in that regard. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, the the second part of your question is, can you, um, about uh, what initially inspired me to focus on the issue of missing black women about a week before I applied for my, uh, this program at California Baptist, I heard about a woman, Mytrice Richardson, who had had a psychotic break, it seems, at a restaurant in Malibu and ended up going to, um, being taken by the police to jail, not, you know, because she committed a crime, but they just held her. And the staff was like, hey, we think she had a break. She was saying things that didn't make sense. And they were like, we were really worried about her. And then her mother called and talked to the police and said, you know, do I need to come get my daughter tonight? I will. And, you know, it's in the middle of the can- in Malibu Canyon. And they said, no, 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 we'll let her out in the morning. She's like, great, because, you know, I would hate for her something to happen and that she would uh, end up found somewhere with her head chopped off. And they kind of both laughed it off. Well, they didn't talk to the family. They let her out in the middle of the night. She went missing for months and they eventually found her with her head chopped off. And yeah, it was just so, I heard that story right. and all I could think of was, I was home. I was, you know, I went to school out of state, but I was back in LA during this time. How did I not hear this story? And that piqued my interest um, with making sure that black women are thought about and that there is some kind of awareness. Cause how could I, especially being in this field, how did I not hear about this? And um, also just wanted to mention that right. as a young girl living in Oakland, um, I was almost kidnapped. And a gentleman, I was walking down the stairs in my apartment building and he was like, hey, little girl, I have something for you in my car. And I just, my instincts just told me just run. I was like, no, thank you. And left. And from that moment, I always have had a fear of something happening to me and being, you know, taken. But my mother and my uncle were, you know, my uncle's a former uh, bank robber. He paid his dues. And uh, they were going out to find that man. They were going to get him. They didn't find him. But I remember just thinking, like, I'm so cared for. I'm so loved. And I just really thought everybody had that. And it just, when I started to go down a rabbit hole and hear all these stories, I saw there was a lot of people who struggled with getting, you know, people to care and to look for them. So that's kind of how we got here with me working and looking into um, missing black women and girls. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I have uh, similar experiences as far as coming across names and doing, you know, just random research and finding out that things were happening right here in my own neck of the woods. And I had no idea 
And with that in mind, one of the cornerstones in your research is the lack of media attention. Yeah. Could you explain why this is such a significant issue and what impact it has on these cases? Yeah, so there's a discrepancy between uh, media coverage of missing white women and missing black women. The term missing white women syndrome was created by reporter Gwen Eiffel, um, rest in peace, to explain the phenomenon that missing black women and other women of color do not receive the same media attention given to white women who go missing. Uh, Jacobs was the person who um, I'm I'm citing on that. Uh, The Committee on Oversight and Accountability, um, they noticed that this disparity creates a crisis impacting the likelihood of black women being found when they're missing. The research identifies and studies show that the amount of media coverage granted depends on several factors, including the victim's attractiveness, socioeconomic status, and race that's found through Jenison Powers. Uh, According to law enforcement, media coverage of missing person cases increases the public's ability to identify the abductee, thereby increasing the recovery of the missing person. And that's through Fife. So it's super important for people to know, just to know that someone is missing, because that's going to increase the likelihood that maybe they can be found. Wow, that is so heartbreaking to know that we are statistically invisible because of things like the way we look. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from the racial component of how we look, right? But Mm -hmm. attractiveness, beauty standard is European. So what does that mean for everybody else? It's just... So attractiveness meaning for them is white. And then of course you have the, the, either the blonde hair, blue eye, that helps. Right. Mm-hmm. And then even when it's black women, the more fair complected, longer hair may get more attention as well. Yeah. And I can see that. And I mean, even just in the some of the episodes that I've done, I can see some of these biases play out. Um, and even when it doesn't come down to fair skin or really anything appearance wise, it sort of loops into respectability. So if we've got you know, a missing woman who's from the hood versus a missing woman or a woman who's been killed who was a college graduate or a businesswoman. There is a different type of attention that befalls both types of victims. And I've just noticed that the ones that are quote unquote respectable are the ones that people empathize with more. Would you say that's something you've come across in your research too? Yes, my findings showed that framing was a big part of whether someone got the attention they needed on their case. And framing is basically how the media presents the case to the public. So what they have found is they use words like youthful, young. She's a young mother. When it comes to white women who are missing, those are some of the terms that they use. In framing, what we have discovered is that White women are considered to be fragile, worthy of protection. They deserve to have us go and look for them because we need to make sure they're safe. And the research shows that with Black women, we were looked at as not as worthy, uh, aggressive, not fragile, more masculine. And so the the society... Um, was less likely to think it was important to go find us. The framing is also shown in the type of pictures that are uh, ex- that are shown to the public. If it's a white woman, they're showing the graduation picture. They're showing the most innocent picture 
uh, that you can find of this person on their social media. They know in some of the studies that I researched, they found that with black women, they showed pictures, you know, where either they were scantily dressed, they constantly brought up their sexual partners or the fact that they had previously or recently had a sexual contact with someone indicating that, oh, well, you know, you had sex with them, then you deserve to go missing. So it is uh, the framing is a major part of my findings that that is something that truly influences the public and the media has a great role in doing that and using framing. And it seems like this could also go hand in hand with the motivation or lack thereof um, from law enforcement when it comes to locating missing black women. You know, if the media has already drummed up all of this or maybe rather hasn't drummed up any any type of positive attention or, you know, things about the victim are framed in such a way that does not promote empathy. Do you think that that also can impact law enforcement? Oh, definitely. There is um, the practice of discriminating in missing person cases by creating awareness of missing white women more than missing black women is embedded in historical and systemic racism and exhibits a lack of social justice, equality, and service to a vulnerable population. Um, Studies show that law enforcement um, does not provide appropriate attention to missing Black women and girls. That's through Jacobs in 2017. And examples of racial bias in law enforcement towards Black women was found in another study of Black women in San Francisco. While only 5.8% of the San Francisco population, Black women um, make up 45.5% of those arrested. So Black girls are also more likely to be treated as adults than white girls. Uh, This occurs due to the term age compression, which is the idea that Black girls are seen as adult Black women, even at the age of five years old. The study participants in this study expressed that they saw Black girls as more sexualized and less needing of care and protections. So when law enforcement does not provide the same attention to missing Black women as is giving to missing white women, that is definitely an example of systemic racism and that we've learned here in this country. My goodness, you said five years old seen as an adult? Yeah, have you seen those videos where they were arresting the little black girls and in first grade because they don't see them as children. They don't see them as, they would never do that to a little white girl because they no, see her never. as a baby. They see that that's my child, that's my little sister, that's my niece. She's just a little baby. Where we have our children who are looked at as grown as 13 or 14. I noticed it even with people who love me, my close friends who are non-Black, and they're like, oh my God, your boys are men now. No, they're not. They're still 12, 13. But in their eyes, uh, we are perceived as a lot older. That's true. I can think of a, a, a dozen different examples of that. One just happened recently at work, actually. And it was, you know, I had shared some photos from uh, of Savannah and I um, from the mother's brunch. And she did look quite sophisticated. She did. Um, she looks lovely and very, yes, she did. Look, <laughs> thank you. She looks lovely. Um, but, you know, comments were like, oh my God, she's so grown up or she looks so much older. And I'm just like, she actually, I mean, she does look older than she did when she was 10, when you first knew about her. <laughs> but I don't know, I guess it may, maybe it, it was just them stating the fact, but because I am also aware of age compression, I maybe I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hypersensitive or uh, just hyper aware of it. And so it's easy for me to kind of misconstrue that. But when it comes to law enforcement, you know, we just don't have room for that type of, of mentality and, and, and for it to be systemic. It's, it's actually just 
I don't really have words yeah. for it. It really just pisses me off, to be quite honest. <laughs> that 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 kind of that that says enough. <laughs> That's a great way to summarize that sums it. it up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we have all of these problems. A lot of what you just described, you know, speaking to the media and especially law enforcement, all of that stuff is out of our control. So. I want to kind of pivot into something positive that came from your research. This is our time to shine and more, more specifically your time to shine. Talk to me about the nope, mother's our brunch. Shine. <laughs> our time. I refuse. It was a group effort. Inspiration came from Shalissa and then you, it was just everyone together, but go ahead. It's true. It's true. It's your time to talk about the mother's brunch. I'll okay. say. So please gush to me about, <laughs> about it in general and how it connects specifically to your research. Oh my gosh, it was such an, a wonderful experience just seeing the family and just being able to honor them and being able to honor our guests um, and create that awareness. It was just an amazing time of love, compassion, and care. It just it gave me hope in, in, in people again. Mm. Uh, just so many of the volunteers, their feedback to me was, they were thanking me. I was calling to thank them or texting to thank them. And they were t thanking me just saying it was so, it was such a worthy cause. It was so impactful. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Thank you for allowing me to just be there and to help. And I, that to me sums it up mm. that so many people appreciated us having the speakers and people we had, you know, uh, domestic violence survivor. Mm. Um, we had investigator, um, Cleveland. Dr. Cleveland, you know, come out and share just tips on how people can prepare themselves to exit a, a domestic violence relationship. It really was a, a, a wonderful opportunity for me to share my research uh, for those who could really benefit from it. What we need to do is to get this information out so that people can figure out how to stop it. We have, through my research, what we have found is that the media and law enforcement are not going to they're not going to assist us with this unless we really, really, really just make a big deal and really get in their faces. We are on our own. And so through some of my research, I found, talked to people who are trying to create databases so that the community will be able to do it for themselves. And so me being able to present my research and my findings was extremely helpful because now we have people walking away going, wow, there's something I can do. I can be a community member. I know this information. I know, I now know how important it is to get the word out and to pay attention to missing person flyers and things of that nature. So uh, it was just such an amazing time. I felt like it did, It was, and I, I can't believe how it all came together, <laughs> right? And that yes. my, yes, because I was interviewing you, but it was really perfect that although the Mikeyana Johnson Foundation inaugural Mother's Brunch was not specifically for missingness. It was for domestic violence. The missingness did play a role in it because of the fact that sometimes people do go missing before they're murdered. And if we could get the word out immediately that they're missing and get the public and community involved, then maybe we could save some people before you know their life is taken. So I feel like it connected perfectly. And um, I was just so grateful to be allowed to be um, a part of this. I love that. I love that. And you are right. It does connect to missingness because one of our honorees, um, her sister, Crystal Anderson, I did an episode about Crystal, which is how we came to um, be able to invite Shadira out. She 
technically is still missing and it's been over a year and had law enforcement given a shit when she was first reported missing she might still be with us today it really just isn't fair so i i appreciate the fact that we were able to link the two worlds together because they are not separate like some people would be tempted to think so i'm i'm just really happy i agree it came out so so well beyond my my wildest dreams to be honest so it it really was it was beautiful wonderful it really was beautiful yes so hopefully we'll have you know more support from listeners and people will want to be involved and and volunteer i know my volunteer uh, hey y'all better jump in on it because my volunteers are already <laughs> say I, i'm volunteering next year yes <laughs> we already have a list of people who want to do this again yes yes and i mean and to you know to add to that it was like, everything was just so nice. We had the most beautiful venue in downtown LA. We could like right in the center. It was completely donated to us because your friend wanted to be a part of this really monumental event and gave us that space so that we can do something beautiful. The food was good you know, the cakes. <laughs> I wish that I had gotten some of that, that cake girl. I only got the cupcakes, but the cupcakes were so, so good. I was like, I want this cake. Everybody oh, ate yeah. it up. Shout out to Sweet Flower. Yes. Shout <laughs> out. Cause it was so, 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 so good. But getting back to your work and your research, in your opinion, what changes are needed in the media coverage and law enforcement practices that you think would address this issue more effectively? We know that they have problems, but do you have any solutions that you think would be helpful here? Well, there's a few things. And before I get to the solution, I just want to, again, mention some of the, the findings were that like five of the studies I did explored theories that explain why the United States media focuses on missing white women, right? So we have conflict theory, behavior of law theory, intersectional theory, critical race feminist theory, feminist theory by itself, as well as the framing. So just knowing that these are the theories that media are using to exclude black women, I think there needs to be more research and people need to look more into why is this happening. I, I know I talked about it at the brunch with the social learning uh, theory, which was a previous one I looked into, that in this country, we have learned that black women are not valuable by how we have been treated historically. Uh, founding fathers, you have Thomas Jefferson molesting a young black teenager and everyone saying, oh, they had an affair. That's not an affair. She's a child and she was enslaved. Right. She had no rights. So exactly. if he's looked up as, oh, he's a founding father, but yet he can disrespect black women, what are other people going to think? Uh, the same with Marion J. Sims, who was considered the father of, what is it, gynecology? And, gynecology. Yeah, and he was mm -hmm. doing the uh, surgeries on black women with no anesthesia. So just a total disregard for our pain. And we're seeing as people, you can, they can take pain, you know, they, don't, they, they can take their children from them. You can rape them. You can steal them from their families or sell their husbands and their children off. They don't have feelings. They don't matter. So I think historically this country needs to look at what we've learned and unlearn it. And try our best to figure out how to do better. So again, I always mention Dr. Joy DeGruy, who yes, focuses on post-traumatic slave. I, I told her, I said, when I met her, I said, ma'am, 
you are you are my mentor whether you want to be or not same <laughs> like, oh hard God, same so amazing and when you look at when you look at she's on youtube or you can go to her website but when you look at her work and how she shows that historically we are still traumatized by how we've been treated and this is another way uh, that we are traumatized that from a total disregard and value of the black woman before and now we are here with us not being valued and not being looked after or found or putting the effort and energy into us, right? So those are just, that's one of the things I wanted to mention before we went on to looking at more of the solutions. So in summary, more news coverages are needed to, are provided to white women than black women. Black children remain missing longer and are more likely to be missing than non-black children. Uh, Again, the visual framing associated with missing white women syndrome does indeed affect the emotions of viewers. They're more drawn to these stories of these young, youthful women. So you're more likely to want to go look for her. And again, more coverage results in more people being reached. And so, which makes citizen searches much more likely in cases that are highlighted by the media. Uh, The media underreports stories of missing black women as well. So as we move on to what does this mean? We need to look at this, that the implications of these results for social work practice and our education that changes need to be made in policy. It would benefit Black women if policies were put in place to ensure that all missing people are given the same considerations. If law enforcement was mandated to list Black women as missing immediately instead of as runaways, uh, Black women would benefit if the media were mandated to provide each uh, coverage to their cases as soon as they reported missing as well. And lastly, these results justify the need for more community involvement. This involvement could be the church taking a more active role in creating awareness, um, as well as just community members as a whole. And in addition, a database that could be used, again, with, with or without media and law enforcement involvement would empower the community to actively create awareness of missing Black women. I love that idea about a database. Yeah, we already know that the likelihood of them getting it together and doing the activities needed to overcome their biases, it's kind of slim to none. So we do need Mm -hmm. some type of database that we can all access and we can all see and someone's keeping track of what's happening. I feel like the Black and Missing Foundation has a really, really, really solid start on that. They really are trying to fill some of these voids and oh, for sure and, and do the things that you you know highlighted, um, especially with Derica being you know former law enforcement and Natalie being a publicist. You know they're literally conquering the media issue and the law enforcement piece, and it's just they're they're doing God's work. So shout out to them. Oh, definitely. I was going to mention them um, and I, later on as we as we got ready to wrap up because they also Natalie uh, Wilson also gave of her time to do an interview with me and gave me so much valuable information to get started with. I was very new to this between you, Natalie, and Ryan Sorrell of the KC Defender, um, and then of course uh, Shalissa Collier. Uh, you all helped us. The struggling student who was, you know, new to this topic, you guys really brought me up to speed really quickly. And um, I appreciated that. I, you know, would have loved to have had uh, uh, Natalie and the Black and Missing Foundation involved in the Mother's Brunch. Unfortunately, scheduling it didn't work out. But of course, we'll love to work with, with them in the future. Yes, yes. Same, same, same. And and with that having been said, how can listeners contribute to your foundation specifically and the work that you do so that you can continue to raise awareness about missingness in our community? 
Well, they can continue to subscribe and listen to podcasts like yours, right? Just that's, 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 that impacts me because more people who are aware then more people are concerned and more people want to get out and help. Um, we would love to have people sign up to be volunteers. I'm going to be doing a, a missingness event to focus on increasing awareness of missing Black women. So if any of your listeners or people would like to uh, be volunteers and, you know, provide <laughs> things that we don't know how to do. Like, I was like, how do you create a QR code to, you know, <laughs> provide the uh, self-care information, right? Just for simple things. So that anyone who could volunteer their time to assist would be beautiful. And of course, always monetary support is helpful with us being able to do community events. Um, and that could be um, made during uh, via Nan Washington Foundation at yahoo.com on Zelle, PayPal, um, or Venmo. So any of those ways people could support the work um, that I'm doing, that you're doing, and that this community of advocates because and activists are doing to get the word out about <laughs> missing Black women. Love it. So what's next? What are your future plans um, and hopes for continuing your advocacy? I know that you are still in school. You plan on doing some type of additional project, but do you see this expanding beyond school for you? I think so. I, I, the Nan Washington Global Wellness Foundation is uh, primarily focused on creating uh, health and wellness throughout the world. And this is health and wellness. There are families who are torn apart. There are women, as you know, there are people who couldn't even come to the mother's brunch because their health has been impacted by the trauma of losing their daughters, right? So um, I definitely see this as something, and, and it's funny how you never know where you're going to end up. I would have never thought this would be something that I would be interested in because I just didn't know enough about it. But now I do have a passion for it. Um, I think my grandmother would be so proud to know uh, and it's, oh, this just hit me. Oh my. Okay. Here we go. Revelations. This just hit me. Um, yes, okay. So my grandmother died, um, very quickly. Like we had no, she had a, a, a surgery and then all of a sudden she was gone. So this wasn't like we were talking and she was not well, but we were just talking a few months or, you know, before she had passed about writing her life story. And so she was born in Canada. Our family is one of the first five families that, um, that was, uh, settled in, Alberta, Canada, creating Amber Valley. And she was talking about growing up in Winnipeg. And she told me of a story. She said one day she and her friend were playing outside. She was about seven or eight. She said a, a big like 18 wheeler, like a truck came by a big truck. I'm not an 18 wheeler, but a big truck came by and stopped. Her friend was across the street because a ball had went across the street. The car stopped. And she said when the car left, her friend was gone. She said they never heard from that little girl what? again. And it's funny, not funny, but I had forgotten that story till just now. And just thinking My like, goodness. so I think she would be so happy that a organization in her name, a foundation in her name is looking into missing black children. I'm so excited. So definitely I want wow. to, wow, isn't that amazing? It just popped in my head. I totally forgot about that story. I know definitely in Canada, there's a huge indigenous, uh, what are they, First Nations? And they are, the numbers with them going missing is outrageous. There's even a TV show about it, but that's a big right. issue um, in Canada as well. But so yeah. now we see, see, look, look at how it works out. It's in, it's in me to care about this topic. So yeah, I'm going to continue. Um, hopefully next year, it's definitely a part of one of my school projects. I'm going to create a event that will focus on increasing awareness of this missing black women where we can help uh, families and help get out the word about current missing 
uh, Black women throughout the country, um, uh, starting in LA, of course, and going broader if we have to. So I just wanted to put that out there. Now you are invited to be a part of it. I hope that you will help me. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it without you. Y'all, y'all, y'all help her. Y'all beg for me. <laughs> See if she'll help me. Uh, and then also yes, hope your listeners yes, yes. help us as well. <laughs> yes. Well, I know that I definitely will help because it's funny. Just in the spring, I was talking to uh, one of my friends and, you know, we were going on about our hopes and our dreams and the things that we kind of want. He is into real estate. And I was saying, I really want to get connected in the nonprofit space. I don't know anything about that. And I have big plans for this. Like I want to connect with private investigators and therapists like I literally named people and and professions and here we are I I come into contact with you shout out to Janae yes RBG Academy yes shout out to the homeschool folk (laughs) (laughs) yes 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 she put us together and you know investigator Cleveland. I feel like I I'm I'm closer than ever to realizing that dream because I want that for our community. We need that. When these horrible things happen to us, we don't know what to do. You don't know who to reach out to. You think instinctively to dial 911, right? But 911's not checking for us. So then what? And it's a whole process and people need guidance through it. So it's just so remarkable that I pretty much got what I wanted and now we're together, girl. I appreciate it. Yeah, you wait, like like Shalissa said about me at the thing. We're stuck with it, y'all. You're stuck with me now. Yes, it's true. It's true. We are stuck together. Um, so you know, thank you for extending everything that you have given to me and to the podcast and to Shalissa. Um, it it really and truly, really, really, really and truly has impacted my whole existence to this point, really. And um, I'm just so appreciative and thank you for coming on. And yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back. Oh, I would love to. I'd love to see you doing (laughs) more of these, talking to people. You're amazing when it comes to um, asking questions and really getting to what's important. So I'm really excited about this and I would definitely be ecstatic to come back and to talk and to bore you with all my statistics and and things like that so (laughs) well i can't wait i'm looking forward to it thank you i hope you enjoyed getting to know a little bit about casey and the community work she's doing and i really do hope you feel inspired to do more within your own community there's so much work that needs doing as it pertains to missing and murdered black women and girls and i believe that we each have the ability to help where we can with what we've got be that by raising awareness such as podcasting or by providing essentials to families impacted by these horrific tragedies you can pick a lane and drive the hell out of it. All right, that's all for now, but I'll catch you next time on Noir Murders.
This is a Savvy Sounds production, written and produced by Renetta Rideout.